Welcome, welcome. If you're new, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at Kesed. And uh, thanks for coming to our church. We, we are a church that loves people who are spiritually curious. We are a place where you can come and ask questions. And uh, we're also a place with a lot of opinions. And so I'm just going to get it out of the way right now. My wife picked out this shirt. I like it because she likes it. And your opinions don't really matter when it comes to this sort of thing. This shirt says two things about me. One, I like to try new things. And two, I might have a better bowling game than you. So we just, it doesn't really, just relax. Shoot, we can't even get to stage without people being like, what's going on? Man. Um, we are closing our series uh, called The Work, and it's been a lot of fun. We've been talking about what it means to take uh, the gospel outside the church walls to value uh, really being the hands and feet of Jesus, not just inside a church service like this one. And uh, it, it's been really interesting to unpack from a lot of different angles. Uh, today, we're going to close that, and we are going to do it kind of in an interesting way. But first, here is our working definition for work that we've used for the entire series. Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. This, this is the idea that, that we are called to accomplish this in our daily lives wherever we are. Colossians 3.17 speaks to this. We've been highlighting this verse throughout the series. And whatever you do, in word or deed, that means with your mouth or with your hands and your actual actions, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because of this, we can say with confidence that when done correctly, work can be a form of worship. I believe that's very specifically what that verse is saying. And so this is how we've decided to close the series by speaking about work as worship. And yes, even the work that you do. One fascinating example that I think sets up this concept really, really well would be in the constructing of the tabernacle. The Jewish people are wandering around the desert. They are, they are doing everything they can to try to create a, a, a culture after being slaves for well over 400 years to the Egyptians. And they are following God in a pillar by, of fire by night that they can see as they travel and a pillar of smoke by day. This represents his presence before them. Until one day God comes to them and calls them to build a place for his presence to rest among them. Exodus 25, 8 and 9 talks about this. And he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture so you shall make it. God then proceeds to give these people incredibly specific uh, details around how this sanctuary in this tabernacle should be built. And I want to read you just a, a small uh, passage of the many details that God gives to the people about how to build his tabernacle because it just goes on and on and on. We're going to do Exodus 26. We'll pick up in verse 26. God's speaking, and this is what he says. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. Bunch of us in here got lost about three words in. Bunch of builders in here are like, got it, got it, got it. 
Every detail about this tabernacle is designed by God. It all mattered to him, and so he gave very specific instructions around how it should be built. Now, on Thursday, when I got to this point in the message, I've got some folks in service that, that make notes about things that can be stronger or things that maybe didn't hit well, and I got, I got a lot of feedback that I needed to put a picture up of the tabernacle so people could understand what it looked like. So I went, and there's a whole bunch of renderings of what, based on the plans, People think the tabernacle looked like. This is my favorite one, the one that I found. And I like it. Gives you kind of a, an idea of the vastness of it. And I chose it. And I was like, this is the one that I want to use in order for us to understand what this tabernacle looked like. And my point was, do you realize this thing is set up and tear down? That they didn't just build it. And then, like, that's where they were. Like, they built it, they stayed there, and then all of a sudden, God was like, hey, well, it's time for us to move. And then the entire crew of people would have to show up and tear this thing down. Well, my team uh, didn't necessarily love this particular image. There's other images of the tabernacle that are more ornate. And so uh, there was some consensus that this looks more like a Far Side comic, <laughs> which it's not. It's a true rendering from like a Jewish website of a tabernacle in the desert. But my team, being the team they are, by the time I got home, one of them sent me this email. <laughs> this is my team. It's not a Farsight comic. They just went and made one. Now you're thinking, man, Pastor Danny has to work with people like this every day. And I'm like, yes, this is also my ministry. I serve them. I love them. I try to mature them the best that I can. <laughs> my wife wasn't at service on Thursday. So I, I showed her this Farside comic and she goes, oh yeah, it does, I guess a little. And then I showed her the original. She goes, you know what it looks like to me? I don't think it looks like a Farside comic. I think it looks more like a Where's Waldo. And I go, it does not look like a Where's Waldo at all. And my wife's a graphic designer, the graphic designer for my church. And so it, within just about 20 minutes or so, she sent me this. <laughs> you can come up closer. Yeah, folks. So whether I'm married to them or I have to live with them, this is my burden to bear. And I think it goes to say that even Waldo gets to worship, right? That's an important thing to realize. Now, here's what I want to really set in your mind around this tabernacle. Most of us know that during the designing of the tabernacle, God also says that he's going to appoint priests. This is a brand new thing to the nation at this time. Priests who will serve him and the people there in the tabernacle. And there very likely would have been hundreds of them. And even though there would have been so many, he only honors a few by naming them out loud and so for all time. He names them in Exodus 28, 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's son, son Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. So he names these priests specifically. This is because the work these priests were doing was really, really important. It was, it was valuable work. It was, as we would know today, church work. But remember, back a little bit earlier with all the detail that, that he listed and all that was required of the tradesmen in order to get this temple built, well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, did you know that God also handpicked them as well? 
Exodus 31, 1 through 6, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Listen really carefully to this. How much more descriptive this is than even the description of the priests. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahizamak of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Consider that these tradesmen were named as a sign of honor even above others who were functioning as priests. And it's because the work they were doing was very, very good. We have men and women like this in our church. They have built everything you see here. They are people gifted in this way. And the thing is that when those people are functioning in their anointing, there is a glow about them. There is a joy about them. Uh, I've shared with you before that my uh, my son-in-law of only a few years had a dream when I met him. His dream was to be a lineman. And I was like, that sounds like a really hard job. And why would that be your dream? And he's like, there's just so many great things. I like, like you can get to a level where you ride around hooked to helicopters. And I was like, well, that part's cool. But the rest of it seems difficult. And he goes, I know it's going to be difficult. But I've got a job working for a, a, a tree trimming company because I can learn how to climb with all the gear. It'll give me a foot in on lineman school. And I was like, wow, this kid is dedicated. A few years after being married to my daughter and exactly that following uh, his dream, he got into lineman school. And I remember checking on him a few months after he was in lineman school. And I was like, how's the dream? Like, how's the helicopter riding going? He goes, well, we haven't got there yet. But I will tell you the other day, I got to dig a ditch for like six straight hours. And I was like, were they being mean to you? Like, did you make a mistake? And he goes, no, no, it was me and another apprentice. They said, just dig this ditch till your heart's content. They paid me to dig a ditch for six straight hours. And I was like, bro, we are made different. <laughs> he, he loves the work. Now, funny part is, funny part is, uh, the, the, actually, I should get, because I have a video of this. Uh, he just got to ride hooked to a helicopter just like last month. And so pretty cool stuff that, uh, that he gets to do. But my point is, his work is how he's made. And so when he does it with a heart that he's supposed to do it with, just like with the men and women that, that build our stages or have invested so much into this building, that work, according to Scripture, according to this passage anyways, is very clearly good, good work. And so you can see worship. God is calling all of us to see that our work, whatever it is, even if you're not digging ditches for six hours, is worship, or at least it should be. Think about how many of the parables Jesus taught that start with work or a worker. Matthew 13, 3, a sower went out to sow. That's a worker. Matthew 13, 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. Fishermen, that's a worker. Matthew 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Mark 12, 1, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. Work, 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 and work. 
over and over again, God uses this relatable place of work to draw our minds to greater principles and pictures. And so connect deeper meaning to what we do day to day and how those things have an eternal impact within the kingdom he is building all around us. Everything that you do, it says in that earlier passage, everything that you do in word or deed, all of it should give thanks to God the Father. Now, a beautiful example of this sits within another passage in the Old Testament. It all starts with an old prophet by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had one job. He had one thing he was supposed to work at. And it was a hard job at the time because the people of Israel at the time are slowly turning their backs from God. They are turning their backs from doing the work that they were called to do of, of, of loving widows and taking care of orphans and all the kind of the basic uh, loving things that, that the people of God are called to do. And so the prophet Jeremiah, who's quite advanced in years at this point, is given one job, and that is to prophesy against the church. And so he goes and stands outside the temple walls at the time, and he says things like this, Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word. And here's what he's supposed to say. Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Then he quotes the mantra of the day, the church workers' mantra of the day. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He's saying, just because people say it so doesn't make it so. Just because people say, this is the church and this is where God works. And if you want to be a part of what God does, you need to join the church, give your money, get in a small group and do whatever the guy under the light says. That's how I translate that verse anyways. And then he goes on, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers. Verse eight, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. He goes on to say that if they do not choose to do the needed work, that God has called them to do, they will be overcome. And they do not listen. And he continues to prophesy. And they do not listen. And he continues to do the work God called him to do until eventually a neighboring kingdom invades them. This kingdom invades them. This kingdom is known as Babylon. And it, it uh, invades them and kidnaps Israel's royal families and youth of nobility and everybody that mattered in the priesthood. Took them all back to their land, which was a common thing to do, to improve their land, their culture, their understanding, and to use these young people to advance their own agenda. Now, here's what's so <laughs> profound about it is it, I told you it took the youth of nobility, uh, it took the royal families and all of the people in the priesthood that mattered. Jeremiah wasn't one of those people. He was too old, too opinionated, and even the Babylonians were like, leave him. So he stays. And so all the people of, 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 of rank are moved to Babylon. And what's so amazing about it is that from 
the homeland, Jeremiah continues to prophesy to those people through letters. Letters that God has him send. One of those letters is quite well known. Jeremiah chapter 29, we'll start in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Could you imagine at least the one good thing if you had to put up with somebody, you know, criticizing your ministry after you get taken captive and moved to Babylon is at least you don't have to hear from Jeremiah anymore. And then somebody's like, hey, a letter came. And it's Jeremiah again with more words from God. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives of your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare." God is proclaiming something that can be very difficult to understand. And I believe all of us have seasons of this. I don't believe we, we have to live uh, like these folks for 70-something years. But I do believe we all have seasons of this. And that is God proclaiming, where I have you is where I want you. This is not for everyone, but for some of you, you know this to be true. You know that you work for a boss that is questionable. You know that you work in, in a culture that, that doesn't uh, honor uh, kindness or gentleness or any other fruit of the Spirit for that matter. You know that you're in a difficult situation because you are not maybe honored. All of these things, if you feel that you were in a season of God having you in that place, all of these things matter not when it comes to the way in which we are called to do the work. To show up, to be honorable, to, to work hard, to be on time, to try and, try and stand the ground that we are called to stand, but ultimately to be where God has us. Now, again, some of us, we are not in that space and we are, God is calling us to leave or maybe we are in a space that God is working with us to free us from. But some of us, you know that you are there because there is work to be done for the kingdom and you are the only person who understands that it even exists. It's profound, and it can be heartbreaking. I've been there many, many times. As a matter of fact, I've even been there in church work, where I was like, I don't feel like this is the way that God wants his kingdom to be ran. But until God freed me from that place, I felt, and so did my wife, that we were called to continue to do the work. None of us want to stay in that struggle and strife, even if God is allowing it. And so we will often speak deceitfully to ourselves, or we will find people within that environment who will say what we want to hear. These people existed in Jeremiah's day as well, and his letter addresses them specifically. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is just continuing right on. We just left verse 7. This is picking up verse 8. The God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, those are the people that got captured with them, Your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Be aware of the people you listen to, especially if their behavior is no different than the culture you're trying to escape. There's something different about people who suffer well, who smell like suffering is something we say a lot here at Kesson. 
You can smell them. You can recognize them. There is a gentleness and a joy and a perseverance. If people are doing nothing but acting out the culture just in a for God kind of way around you, full of brokenness and deception and pride and arrogance and all those other things, chances are you probably shouldn't listen to the dreams they're dreaming. These are the people that uh, say what you want to hear. Things like God would never allow this. God isn't here among us, but God does allow hard to understand things. So the old adage go, goes, he is God and I am not. This is a difficult space. And so I speak gently into it. Only you can know if God is operating in your story in this way, in your work. What's more important is to seek after how God is working within things we can't understand. And that's where Jeremiah's prophecy letter goes next. Verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Verse 11. You might have it tattooed on your body somewhere. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Uh, referring to that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you. Isn't it interesting to know that a verse that so many use to pray to God as a request to avoid struggle and strife was actually written to people who were only experiencing struggle and strife? That we often, it's like, God has plans for me. He's going to get me out of this situation. I just know it. He's like, my boss is going to end up having a stroke and have to stay home. And then I'm just going to take off. I'm just going to be like, God, you, you know. And really in this particular passage, God is like, hey, Choose the betterment of the people that I have you working for. Choose the betterment of the organization until such a time that it becomes clear that it is time to move on. Do not operate by their rules. Do not operate how they operate. Do not see the world how they see the world. But work and so worship me in the midst of your difficult situation. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But that doesn't mean plans to free you on your time and your dime and in exactly how you think it should be. Now at this time, within that nation, among the youthful nobility was a young man named Daniel. Jeremiah's prophecy had come true and Daniel was carried off as a slave into Babylon. Daniel is a contemporary of Jeremiah and he would have been a very young man at this time, most likely in the priesthood somewhere. We don't really know, but Jeremiah would have been, they could have known each other, chances are. Daniel at this time was forced to work in a hostile environment with no way out because he was taken but his approach to all of this was to believe, to believe that God could work and was working even here. And so that's what he does. He goes to work. Daniel partners with the king and works diligently as a consultant. Daniel chapter 1, he studies in the king's palace for three years, learning all that he can about this kingdom and other things he didn't know. Daniel chapter 2, he interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream respectfully and with honor. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar once again only trusts Daniel to interpret his dream. And then 
Nebuchadnezzar dies, and then there's coup after coup after coup after coup. And all the while, Daniel's being passed from new king to new king to new king until we find out five kings later, another king has a dream, hears about Daniel, remembers what he did for Nebuchadnezzar, and calls him forth once again to interpret. Daniel, by the way, was never really anything special other than trustworthy, integrous, and hardworking. He performs no miracles. He splits no seas. He, he, he does nothing really of note other, this, other than just continuing to work. And because of his work, he keeps getting promoted even though he's never seeking it. And so God prospers Daniel inside Babylon. He keeps working as God compelled him to, but it doesn't mean that his days were easy. He was still very much a captive. And eventually his promotions led him to some difficult choices. You may have heard a little story about how this man at 80 years old was given to lions because he would not compromise his belief. He steps up and speaks up even in a hostile environment. And so allow me to clarify that even though you may be in a hostile work environment, your job is not to set down your morals. Your job is not to compromise who you are. That is not what working as worship is about. It's about working for the betterment of the organization because of the, the, the funds they give you, because of the trust they give you, and so on. But there can come points where, like Daniel, you and I have to say, hey, look, enough's enough. I just can't cross this line, that line, or this line. That usually comes with lots of prayer and hopefully advisement from people that you trust who don't just tell you what you want to hear. Daniel does this. They throw him in the den. And the next day, of course, we know that he's down there just petting lions, which I think would just be a really cool thing. <laughs> just an old guy petting lions. That's the name of his book that he's going to write one day, I bet. The lion's den had everything to do with the work he was called to, a place where Daniel proved once again that God can and does work anywhere. Now from here, the book of Daniel lists his many visions that he begins to have. Vision after vision after vision, dream after dream after dream, and he documents those in the book of Daniel. We have an earlier description of the impact that Daniel, Daniel would end up having in his kingdom that he was working for. Uh, it's mentioned just after he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. There's a description of the authority that he had. Daniel chapter 2, 47, 48, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and listened carefully and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. If you want to mentally circle or physically circle that phrase, wise men in Babylon, it's an important thing to remember because if you move forward about 540 years, there's another verse that mentions wise men. Matthew chapter 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These wise men from the east were following ancient texts. These texts were uh, most likely telling them that there would be a king born underneath this star. Do you know what is east of Bethlehem where these ancient texts were written? Babylon. The place where Daniel, who was in charge of all wise men, was held captive all those years. 
Some scholars believe that Daniel's work was why the wise men were able to find their way to Jesus at all. That God gave him that vision so that he could teach it to the wise men under him who taught it for generations after generations after generations that one day there would be a king who would come whose work in this world would free all captives, free all slaves, no more bondage. What a vision that would be for Daniel. What a, what a, what a beautiful example and, and a reflection of who uh, God was seeing him as. There is, a, there is no proof that Daniel ever made it back home, by the way. His entire uh, youth through uh, adult life was spent in captivity accomplishing these things for God. And I want to believe that he died a satisfied man knowing that he did the work he was supposed to and so brought worship to his Lord. I want to close by asking two of perhaps the most important questions in this entire series. The first one is meant to be very personal and can only be answered by you in your heart. Do you believe God will do the work he says he'll do? Because if you don't, then all the rest of this is, is for naught. If you don't believe there's a God who sees you and, and you find yourself in a hostile work environment ranging anywhere from working for a, a king that's, that's wicked that just uses you for your dream interpreting skills or you find yourself working at the bottom of a pit with lions that are constantly trying to consume you, either of these difficult spaces, if you don't believe that God will do the work he says he'll do, then you are missing such a beautiful opportunity to find worship in that space, to offer to him, even though your circumstances are difficult. My second question is a little more general. If so, Will you ask God to show you how your work can be worship? If you believe that, then now the question becomes leaving here today, how can this work that I'm, that I'm doing be worship? How can, can, can this space that I find myself right now be worship? Even if you are unemployed, how can that space while you look for work be worship? If you're a, a stay-at-home dad, how can that space be worship? If you are doing something you love and you're like, I've never really thought about, there's no struggle at work. This whole series has been difficult because I love my job. Still, how can that space be worship and you don't get distracted by the joy you get from your job, but also are you seeing people around you who are struggling in this space working alongside you? And then of course, those of us who have difficult, difficult jobs, those of you who are suffering in your work, how can that space and that work be worship? I recognize that uh, the whole series kind of culminates into this space. And so although in just a moment, I'm going to have the worship team come out and we are going to have a song so we can reflect. Uh, I wanted us as a church to not lose sight of this. And so uh, what we're going to do is a two-week series starting next week called God Song. We've never done anything like this. Uh, this is completely different. But the God Song series will be two weeks. And if you've ever been to one of our Worship in the Rounds, uh, it, we take everything off stage to put focus on the ground here. And so for our Thursday and Sunday morning services for two weeks, we're going to pull everything off the stage and we're going to do the entire service in a worship in the round style. Uh, there's not going to be extended worship like a normal worship night. They'll still be teaching. I'll be at both services. Uh, all the flow will be the same, but the focus will be different in order to put ourselves in a different posture and a different place so that we can ask God, God, what do you want to do with our worship? What do you want to do with our work?
And that will start next week. You see, this is an important thing that we are um, called to. This is a beautiful thing that we are being invited into. And so my hope is that this just isn't another series, but this is something that changes the way we work and so the way we worship and that we can bring our full selves to God in the midst of it all. So that said, we're going to start with a moment of worship right now. I'm going to ask everyone's heads to bow and all of uh, the eyes to close and we're just going to sit for a second. God, you know the swirling in the minds of everyone here right now. You know the said things and the unsaid things. You know the anxiety of people who are who are trying their best to figure out how to worship in the midst of their current work environment or God who are desperately seeking work but just can't seem to find that space. You know the stay-at-home moms who are exhausted, the stay-at-home dads who are struggling. God, you know every child in this room, as you call us, for you are a good father who works in ways Sometimes we cannot understand, but always, always, always to prosper us, to give us a future, and to receive from us our worship in the midst of even the most difficult circumstances. And so, Lord, we just, we begin this this short season of reflection right now in this service and then over the next two weeks. As we don't look ahead, but we look within. As we ask questions of ourselves and of you. As we confess and are convicted. Maybe the work, Lord, sits within a marriage story. A work that one spouse or the other or both have yet committed to do. Maybe the work sits within a parent and a child relationship, work that needs to be done. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's something, God, that only you and the person in this room or watching online knows. But I ask, Lord, you would meet him or her there right now. We are grateful, God, that we can reflect with you upon these kinds of questions in these kinds of spaces. And we lift it all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you guys to stand as we close out our morning together with this last song, okay? And all alone, your presence was where I found home. You were there and you're here right now. Yes, you are, God. In every high and every low, you never left me without hope. You were good and you're good right now. your faithfulness 
are good. Let's sing that part again. You're good and I've witnessed it. You're strong and I've witnessed it. Yes. You're constant, I've witnessed it. And I'm confident that I'll see it again and again. You love and I've witnessed it. Yeah, lift it up. You heal and I've witnessed it. Oh, you save and I've witnessed it. And I'm confident that I'll see it again and again. To the broken, I've witnessed it. To the hurting, I've witnessed it. To the lost, I will witness it. And I'll tell them this. Oh, I'll tell them what I witnessed. To my family, I've witnessed it. To my city, I've witnessed it. And to the nations, I've witnessed it. And I'll tell them this. Oh, I'll tell them what I witnessed. Cause I've witnessed your you guys to come and check out our weekend next week. Come on Thursday or Sunday where we're going to be down here again as a reminder for our God Song series. We love you. Have an awesome Sunday and we hope to see you guys next week, okay?